Welcome to the podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. During the season of Lent, we are often asked to reflect on how we can change our lives to become more like Jesus. Towards this end, over the next six weeks, we are going to focus on what is known as the fruit of the Spirit. I hope you enjoy. Our first scripture reading today comes from Psalm 16, the entire thing. Protect me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the holy ones in the land, they are the noble, in whom is all my delight. Those who choose another God multiply their sorrows. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names upon my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The boundary lies, lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a goodly heritage. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I keep the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my soul rejoices. My body also rests secure. For you do not give me up to Sheol, or let your faithful ones see the pit. You show me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The word of the Lord. Uh, so, Luke 8, 26 to 39. Then they arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. As he stepped out on land, a man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he did not live in a house but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For Jesus had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many times it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the wilds. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? He said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. They begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now, there on the hillside, a large herd of swine was feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herd saw what had happened, they ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came out to see what had happened, and when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by demons had been healed. And then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So yeah, before I jump into the sermon for today, I just want to say a few things, which is that 
As we're here together today, I think it's really important to say that this is a community of that, uh, for many people, this is their primary community. It's a community that means a lot to them, and that outside of this place, uh, there may not be that much of a community for them. And that's part of the reason why we wanted to have service today. Uh, this is, of course, the last day that we will have service for a few weeks. And we just want you to be aware that even though we will not be here for any of the things that we, there will be services live streamed. There'll be a service 1030. You can watch the service on Sunday. You'll be able to see it. Um, it's going to be a little bit pared down from what you're used to because we don't have all the call and response. There will be a laugh track underneath my sermon, just so that you know that. <laughs> but I hope that you all know that we are here for you, uh, and what TC talked about is that if you do need something, we just want you to know that you can reach out to us, that uh, we sent it out in the email, uh, our phone numbers, our cell phones are in those emails, so if you do have an issue, please feel free to call. We don't want you to feel like you can't reach out to us. Yes, the building will be closed, but the church still lives on, and we want you to know that we are there for you. So that's all I wanted to say about that. You ready to move on? All right. So during Lent, we've been doing a sermon series called The Fruit of the Spirit. And the idea behind this series is that when you're in touch with God's Spirit inside of you, you come to embody certain qualities. And these qualities are what are known as the fruit of the Spirit. We see this from Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. And they are self-control, patience, kindness, joy, generosity, gentleness, peace, faithfulness, and love. Each week we focus on one of these we're going to delve down deep into it. We're going to try to live it out for the whole of the week. And then, hopefully, we'll be able to lay the foundation for what we're going to do next week. Were you kind to everyone last week? Oh, yeah. Everyone's like, oh, yeah. I was kind. Kind as I could be. <laughs> so, kindness, that was, the, that was the goal last week. And what we talked about was how kindness is not something, uh, it's not just about being nice to another person. It's a lot more than that, right? So, when we're talking about kindness, the essence of kindness is when you strip away every single excuse for denying another person kindness, and you see them as a human being who is worthy of love, that is when you have tapped into the kindness that comes from the fruit of the Spirit. And when you call that spiritual discipline of kindness, what you allow God to do is to strip away all of the barriers and all of the prejudices that prevent you from being able to show kindness to another person. Jesus tells us that true kindness is blind and that true kindness is incredibly healing. Now, kindness also lays the foundation for what we're talking about today, which is the quality or the fruit of joy. So joy, when you think of joy, right, often what do we think of? We think of happiness, do we not? Okay, and in fact, if you look it up in the dictionary, that's exactly what it says. It says, a great feeling of pleasure or happiness. But this is a little bit misleading because that's not what joy was originally intended to be. So if you go and look at the root word of joy, which is what you'll find in the Greek, it comes from the Greek word kairo, which means the culmination of being or the good mood of the soul. The Greeks believed that joy was something that only came from God and it was something that you experienced with the accumulation of virtue and wisdom. And so joy is something that is found deep within our beings. It's something that is connected to our spirits and our souls. It's something that we are able to experience when we feel 
close and connected to another person in our lives, when we have this deep, intimate connection with the people in our lives and the world around us. And perhaps this is why joy can be so elusive to us. Because when it's about connection, the fact is, is that if you lack that connection, you're not going to be able to experience joy. So I'd pose a question to you this morning. What is the closest that you have ever felt to another human being? What's the closest you have ever felt to another human being? Now, everybody's going to have a different answer to that. For some people, you would say maybe your spouse. Some people will say maybe it's their child, maybe a parent, maybe a friend. Some people might sit there and say, Alex, I've never felt that close to another human being before I feel closer to my dog or my cat or maybe just being out in nature. Now, what I found is, is that when I ask this question, it's very hard for people to answer. Not because they don't have an answer. Everybody has an answer to this question. But because it actually brings up a lot of really complex feelings. And at the core of this feeling is something we don't often like to talk about, which is that this connection that we form with another human being, that in order for that to happen, you have to find somebody who understands you on a deep level. Like there's somebody who has to really get you, right? And as I get older, what I've come to find is actually that's more and more rare. So, you know, when you, when you talk about, yeah, well, we got it right here, right? Yeah. So what happens is in your life, you're going to come across a few people, a few people in your life who are truly going to understand you on that deep level. And the problem is those complex feelings come from that sometimes you're not around any of those people currently. I was having a conversation with a good friend of mine a couple months ago, and as we were talking, he said something to me that really caught me off guard. He asked me a question. He says, do you feel like your wife understands who you are as a person? Because he's like, I don't feel like my wife understands me at all. And we got into this really interesting conversation about how he loves his wife, he loves his kids, but he feels very isolated and alone because he doesn't feel like anybody in his family really gets who he is. And so I asked him a question. I was like, well, when was the last time you felt like somebody really understood who you were? And he thought about it and he said, well, probably when I was a teenager with my best friend. He goes, my best friend, we spent all this time together and I felt like, you know, we thought the same way, we felt the same things. And this is a guy who's in his mid-40s now. So that's a long time to go without feeling like he understands you. It's a long time to go to feel isolated and alone. Wouldn't you agree? Now, as I was thinking about what he went through, I realized that his struggle is really everyone's struggle. Because here's the thing. As a human being, one of our greatest deficiencies is the fact that we can only understand life through our own eyes. True? I mean, the fact is, you truly can never fully understand what another person is going through. You can't walk in their shoes. And unless we create the technology to do so, where you literally can be inside of their mind, the fact is, we're always going to be a little bit short. We're never going to be able to understand what another person is feeling or experiencing. Now, you can guess, obviously. You can imagine, can you not? And you can imagine it. But the fact is, it's always going to be based on your own experience. I'll give you an example of this. So, as a man, I have no idea what it's like to give birth to a child. No idea. Now, I watched my wife go through the process twice, and it looked very painful. 
Now, the best I can do in that situation is I can imagine the most painful thing I've ever been through in my life, right? But based on what I saw and what I've read, I'm probably not even close, like, to be perfectly honest, right? So, like, in the moment when she's giving birth, I'm like, okay, I'm going to be here for you. You know, what can I do for you? Can I get away from you? I can do that. Okay, right? (laughs) Now, even though I have no idea what she went through, I don't have any idea what it was like, I can tell you that when our boys were born, I and my wife, we both felt this deep, intimate connection to both of them. So I don't know exactly what she was thinking, but what I do know is that her expressions of love were very similar to my own. And so both Courtney and I, we bonded over that. So being with our children, right, being together with them, we felt this really deep sense of joy in our hearts because we felt connected to them, and then we also felt connected to each other. And so what this tells me is Joy is what we experience when the veil between ourselves and the world is very, very thin. It's when the barriers that separate us from each other, it's when they fall, and we can feel as though we're very close to somebody else. That person understands you and sees you for who you are, and you understand them, and you see them for who they are. You feel connected, not just in your mind, not just in your heart, but in your soul. And that is the kind of connection that makes life worth living. And that's the kind of connection we're talking about today in the story of the Gerasene demoniac. So what happens in this story? Jesus, he crosses over the Lake Galilee. He's on the west side. And the west side is all Jewish. That's his people, right? And he crosses over to the east side. He's going over to the Gentile side. So he's going into foreign territory when he gets over there. Now, when he gets off of the boat, he finds himself next to a graveyard. And immediately... A man comes out of the graveyard towards him. This man's name is Legion. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about the idea of a centurion. The centurion is part of a legion. A legion is comprised of 6,000 men. Now, ostensibly, he has been given this name, Legion, because of the number of demons that inhabit his body. Today, I don't think we would refer to Legion as a demon-possessed man. More than likely, we would refer to him as a schizophrenic. Now, schizophrenia is a mental disorder where you have auditory hallucinations. In rare instances, you can have visual hallucinations, but most of the time it's auditory. Now, we can't be 100% sure, right? We don't have a psychiatrist here to diagnose him, but it seems that likely when you're talking about somebody who has that many demons in his mind, that it would be consistent with the symptoms of schizophrenia. Now, the way Luke describes this man, Legion, is that He is very dangerous, prone to violence. He's not only a danger to others, but he's a danger to himself. And his family would often try to restrain him with chains and shackles that he could break out of. Now, that might sound like something out of a superhero movie, really, like, oh, like he breaks out of the chains. But I can tell you that from my time working with the severely mentally ill, and I've explained this to you all before when I've talked about this story, is that this is not too far from the truth that people who have severe mental illness, they often are extraordinarily strong because they don't have in their mind that they have the limitations, right? Like you sit there, you look at something that's really heavy, and you're like, I can't lift that. Their mental illness short circuits that. And so I've watched people who you wouldn't think are that strong do incredibly crazy things. So I think it's within the realm of possibility that this could happen. 
Now, because he is this way, because he's so dangerous, what this means is that he is actually somebody who can't be part of normal society. So he lives in a graveyard. Now, what does this tell you? What his friends and his family, they're pushing on him. What are they saying to him? They're saying, you don't belong with the living. You should be dead. Now, Jesus, when he gets off the boat and he's right there in front of the graveyard, this guy comes out. What's interesting is Jesus isn't scared by Legion. He doesn't run away from him. He doesn't say, oh my gosh, what are you doing? No. In fact, he treats Legion with dignity. He sees him as a person who has intrinsic value and worth. He treats him like a human being. Whereas everybody else has rejected Legion, they have seen him as somebody who should be abandoned. Jesus doesn't. He sees him as a human being who is worthy of that dignity and respect, and he gives him hope that, in fact, his life may be worth something. And so I would say that Jesus and Legion, these two have a connection with each other. And Jesus, he was able to tear down that barrier separating them from one another. In fact, I would say that probably Jesus is the first person in Legion's life in a long time who Legion feels like understands him, sees him for who he is. Have you ever had that happen? Where you meet somebody and somebody just gets you. Like they understand who you are on this deep level. If you've ever had that happen to you, it's an amazing experience. It can transform your life because you feel hope, you feel free, and you really do feel joy. Like it fills you up in this amazing way. And what does it say? After Legion speaks with Jesus, what does he do? He ends up, he goes out. Remember it says Legion leaves. He goes out and he's proclaiming to everyone this experience that he had. He wants everybody to know about the joy that he felt in his heart, this connection that he's had with Jesus. And I think this is why Jesus is such an amazing figure. Probably to do so much when he was on earth is because he had this amazing ability to make your soul feel connected with his soul as if the two had become one and so when we're talking about joy i really think joy is when you experience the unity of all things i think that's where joy comes from when you experience the unity of all things and how i want to end this is since we're talking about somebody with mental illness i want to tell you a story from my time when I was working as a chaplain intern at Trenton Psychiatric Hospital in Trenton, New Jersey. So some of you have been here before when I've told stories about Trenton Psych. If you haven't, let me give you a little bit of background so you know what I'm talking about. So Trenton Psychiatric is a state-run facility. There is a spectrum of mental illness. There are millions of people throughout the world who have mental illness. Most of them, it's very easy to manage. They simply need therapy, medication, or a combination thereof. But Trenton Psychiatric, it caters to the worst 5% of people who are mentally ill. The vast majority of people who are there are there because the New Jersey court system told them that they had to go there. So the vast majority of these people have committed crimes. Some of them are minor crimes, like theft, possession, selling drugs. Other things are a bit more serious, like arson, or assault, or rape. And then you have people who have done unthinkable things, like multiple murders. Now, regardless of why you are there, your ability to be able to move about the campus is really all based on you following the rules. The longer you comply with the rules without violating them, the more privileges you receive. And when you're at the highest level of privilege, that is what will allow you the opportunity to be able to go to chapel service, which happened every Thursday evening. 
This was a big deal for the patients to be able to come to chapel service, not because they particularly wanted to worship God, but because it gave them an opportunity to be able to get off of their ward for a little while, to go socialize with other people. And the summertime chapels were really, really special because they got to be outside, they got to sit on these benches and look at the beautiful grounds of the hospital. Now, whatever you're imagining this hospital to be, you have to put it aside because this is unlike anything you've ever seen before. This Trenton Psych, first psychiatric institution ever created in the United States of America. It was created in 1848 by a woman named Dorothea Dix. So she was a big advocate for the mentally ill. She was really one of the first advocates. And what was happening at that time that families who had mentally ill family members, they didn't know what to do with them. They would place them in basements and just try to keep them away from society because they didn't know what to do, very much like what Legion had to deal with. And so she saw this and she wanted to fix it. And so she was able to procure a lot of land in Trenton, New Jersey, and she was able to get these families to send them to Trenton Psych. Now, it wasn't called Trenton Psychiatric at that time, but they made it so it was a very nice place, a beautiful, beautiful facility. It had these amazing trees, beautiful flowers everywhere. This is an old photo. This is from like the 1920s, I believe, but that's the original facility right there. And it was amazing, rolling hills, uh, and it was all very well manicured. Very, very, very nice place. And so, if you took the time to step back and look at it, and you weren't in the middle of everything, it was like something that you would say, wow, this is really a place of beauty. And I remember there was one night, I was doing my internship, we were having chapel, and I was sitting on one of the benches with a patient. And I knew a little bit about this patient. I knew that he was schizophrenic, and I knew that he had been convicted of statutory rape. I didn't because he wasn't on my unit, Full history. When you're on the unit, you had access to their full history. You could look at their case files. You were able to see everything about it. So I didn't know anything about the circumstances surrounding his conviction. But what I did know is that a few months earlier, he had gotten into an altercation with another patient. And so he had lost a lot of his privileges as a result of that. And that evening, he'd worked his way back up. And that evening was the first night he was allowed back at chapel. So I was sitting there with this guy, and the reason I was sitting with him is because my boss came up to me, and she said, Alex, so I know you work out. I need you to keep an eye on that guy. And I was like, uh, okay, well, why? And she said, well, because he's coming back to chapel tonight, and the guy who we got into an altercation with, he's here too, and we just want to make sure, you know, that they don't get into another fight. And she this New Jersey girl, this, uh, my boss, and so she's got like, like this really positive disposition. She's like, so you got it? I was like, yeah, what could go wrong, right? So I'm sitting there with this guy, and literally, to give you a sense of it, um, this is an old photo, but if in that right-hand corner over there, that's where we were, because there's benches there. That's where we were sitting. So we're looking out over this. It's a, it's a warm New Jersey evening, very humid, but the sun's setting, and the trees are kind of swaying in the wind. And we're just sitting there in silence, right, because I'm just supposed to watch the guy. And he turns to me, and he says at one point, he goes, you know, when I'm here at chapel, sitting here, I don't feel so fragmented. And I thought that word caught me, fragmented. I, didn't, I wasn't expecting him to say anything like that. I said, well, what do you mean? 
And he said, well, when I'm sitting here in this place, you know, I usually, I feel just so split apart. Like, I feel like my thoughts, I can't get them together. It's like there's a static in the back of my mind. But when I'm here at chapel, when I'm sitting here on this bench, that all goes away. And I said, well, why do you think that is? He said, I don't know. You, the other chaplains, you treat me so nice, I feel like my life might actually be worth something. And I said, oh, well, that's, it's interesting. And we kind of talked a little bit more. I said, it sounds, sounds like what you're saying is that when you're here, you feel whole. And he goes, yes, yes, that's a really good word, whole. Yeah, I feel whole. You know, when I'm back on my unit, I don't feel that way at all. I feel the exact opposite. You know they treat us like animals in there. They don't even treat us like human beings. And then he says, you know, when I'm here with you guys, what's neat is that you make me feel like maybe I could start over again. Now, at that point, he's sitting to the right of me. He goes like this. He puts his hand up in the air. And I didn't even, like, I wasn't really paying attention. I looked over and I saw it, and I realized that he wanted me to shake his hand. This is obviously before the coronavirus when this was, you know, something you could do. So, so, I, so I reach up, I shake the man's hand, and he says, thanks for talking to me. And he gets up, and he walks into the chapel, and of course I was pretty close behind him because I needed to make sure that nothing happened. And there was no altercation. It was fine. He, they went through the evening, they got back to the unit. So the next week, I'm sitting in the chaplain's office, and the chaplain who's on his unit comes back from being over there. She said, that guy who you were sitting next to, he was talking about you. And I was thinking to myself, oh man, what's he saying? Because, you know, here's the thing. It's like people who have severe mental illness, they're not exactly interpreting what you say normally, right? Like, so you never know how they're going to hear it. And she says, he said you were the first man who he's spoken to in a long time who shook his hand. And I was like, I didn't even know what she was talking about because I couldn't even remember having really, that, that I shook his hand. I couldn't even really remember that. I was more worried about, like, is he going to get into a fight, right? So I had to think back, and I was like, oh, well, that's good. <laughs> you know, I was like, that's fine. She goes, no, no, you don't understand. See, for him, male hands are associated with fists because his father used to beat him so much. And so she says to me, you know, look, here's the situation. With this guy, he really felt like you were the first person who had spoken to him in a long time who he could connect with, that it actually like meant something to him. And you didn't judge him for what he had done. And so he'd been walking around the unit saying, this chaplain, he didn't know my name, and I didn't know his, but he said, this chaplain shook his hand. And she said, usually he's just so angry and upset and moody, but today he actually seemed like he had some real joy in his heart. Now, you have to remember, shaking this guy's hand, that was, I didn't realize that that was going to do anything. I was just trying to be cordial and polite. You know, it's what you do. But to him, it really meant something. And so when you think about what I was talking about with joy, do you remember what I said? Joy is something that you experience deep within your being. Joy is something that's connected to your spirit and your soul. It's when you feel this intimate, deep connection with the people around you and the world around you. Well, clearly this man's mental illness, it prevented him from feeling connected to anybody. Like that was prevent, remember he said he's fragmented, right? But in that moment, on that bench, because he was treated with dignity, respect, and love, he felt whole. 
And that wholeness came in the form of a handshake. So if joy is all about the veil between ourselves and the world being very, very thin, then I think that what we have to understand is that when you invest in the spiritual discipline of joy, you really are tearing down these barriers that separate us from one another. And the closer you get to experiencing the unity of all things, the closer you get to truly experiencing joy. And that's what he felt when I shook his hand. And I hope that you might have the opportunity to feel that transformative experience in your life. Because the truth is that we can go through our lives feeling so disconnected from the people around us. We can go through feeling isolated and alone like nobody really understands who we are. But if you invest in the spiritual discipline of joy and all it takes is a little bit of patience, a little bit of kindness, and a willingness to sit there and try to connect with another person, if you can experience that in your life, then I truly believe you will come to understand what it means to have a whole life. To experience the unity of all things is what Jesus wants for us. And I think that it's possible for every single person in this room. And I wish that that would be something that you would experience in your life, either now or in the future. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.firstpresah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.